Hello and thank you for listening to this Youth Mental Health Podcast with the Northern Trust. Uh, my name's James Nelson and I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm very pleased to be joined by my friend and colleague, Mr. Stephen Weir. Stephen, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, James. Lovely to be back on with you again. Yes, I'm Stephen and I am a senior practitioner in the CAMS Step 3 service. And I know you have a particular interest in anxiety, Stephen, and that you're a cognitive behaviour therapist also. And our podcast topic today is anxiety. What is it and what can help? Uh, so maybe if we get straight to it, uh, Stephen, it's uh, often good to start with a definition and a bit of a, a basic understanding. So when we're talking about anxiety, what exactly do we mean? Yeah, basically, um, anxiety is uh, our body's response to when we believe there's an incoming uh, threat. Uh, and it basically is it makes or energizes us to to either fight or flight either fight there or the danger or run away from the danger um and it's something that affects our thinking affects the way we feel and it'll affect what we do um yes Stephen. so incoming threat you're mentioning so people are alarmed people are seeing danger and i suppose that could be real or perceived danger um and of course, we know from our day-to-day work in the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service that often this can be uh, coming along with physical things that happen in a young person's body. Do you, want, do you want to say a little bit about the physical side of anxiety for many young people? Well, for, for all of people, actually. Um, um, yes, and I think you make a good point there, James. It's not always necessarily a real threat. Um, and we could uh, make a distinction between fear uh and anxiety at this point um so fear would be something that is actually in the here and now so a good example of this would be uh, me and my wife are driving out down a road and there's a car pulls out uh, across us and it's going to hit us so my wife and i experience fear in that moment it's like Mm -hmm. oh we need to do something or there's physical changes that we're going to talk about that happens to help us to maneuver out of the way of that danger um, anxiety, on the other hand, is where my wife, since that actually happened, mm-hmm. um, does not want to go down that road again. <laughs> or maybe she of, insists on driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she doesn't want to go down that road because mm-hmm. she's already thinking ahead that this it's happened once, so it could happen again. So the anxiety is always kind of in front of us. Mm-hmm. It's always something that we're kind of like preempting. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that's really important. So fear is really kind of like our response there to an actual threat or danger, mm-hmm. whereas anxiety isn't always a real danger and it's often, uh, is actually always uh, based in the future or a, a fear of something happen bad, bad happening in the future. Mm. Is that helpful? Yeah, yeah, that, that is a useful distinction and very relatable for, for, for all of us. In terms mm. of the physical things that happen then or can happen, do you want to go over those a little bit? Yeah, I think this is really important. And actually, I think it's something that uh, really isn't talked enough about uh, because it can normalise, you know, a lot for, for, for young people uh, and certainly that I see. So the, when we get into a situation where we think that uh, we believe that we're, uh, that we're uh, there's an imminent threat, um, adrenaline is released. So that chemical really just energises our whole body and it makes our heart go faster. Um the heart's beating faster because it needs to pump blood to the arms and legs because this is where the fight and flight then kicks in. Then when their heart's beating faster, it makes our breathing go faster. And then when our breathing goes faster, often we'll experience a wee dry mouth. 
um, sometimes the the impact of this energy going through our body can make us feel a little bit lightheaded again because of the breathing uh, and the and the oxygen getting around our blood sometimes takes a wee second it can make our stomach churn it can make our muscles really tense because we really need to be get going and sometimes some people experience you know their, their bladder maybe relaxing they certainly would warm up and they would sweat and and actually some you know I've had some young people say to me they they see their their eyes get a wee bit blurry because mm. the pupils dilate very quickly and they're trying to take mm-hmm. in the danger mm-hmm. um so there's a lot of things going on in the body um that's just really really helpful and purposeful to get us safe Mm-hmm. in relation to getting away from a danger. Mm-hmm. And I suppose even as we think of that list of things, Stephen, there, the heart rate, the breathing changing, a tummy getting upset, the muscles getting tense, dry mouth, getting lightheaded, it's obviously quite an unpleasant list. It's not the sort of way any of us would want to live every day, feeling that quite frequently. So that that's a helpful thing to draw out. And just at the end there, you were at least hinting at, in some ways, this is useful. So mm. uh, we're, I'm reflecting on this list that oh, that is really unpleasant to feel that, but you're also saying there can be a, a positive aspect of this or a necessary aspect of this. Do you want to unpack, uh, unpack that a little bit, Stephen? Well, yeah. Well, the way I explain it to young people who come in, I say to them, OK, let's imagine there's a bear at the window and it wants to eat you. Now, some kids are very bright and they go, is it a brown bear or a black bear? <laughs> uh, th- um, but I say, no, it doesn't matter what colour the bear is, it wants to eat you, what would you do? And they, they would say, generally, they would say they would flight, they would run away. And then I and then we go through the symptoms there about the heart and everything else and about the blood pumping into their muscles so they can run. And then I say to them, well, if you if you didn't experience anxiety and you didn't have those feelings, what might happen? And they go, well, I probably not really, maybe not run. I might go, oh my goodness, there's a bear at the window, that's really dangerous. But actually, I just don't have the energy to get up, or. I should get up, I'll get up in the minute or whatever. And that just that delay would be enough for you to be maybe eaten by the bear. Whereas if we have that, the anxiety response, then we're going to respond very quickly. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, so it's quite a clear example. Imminent danger, bear right in front of you. It's very helpful to be able to get out of there fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So for, let's take tension. So some kids come in, they go, oh, you know, I'm really, really, I get really, really tense. It's really sore. My legs get really heavy and I feel a lot of tension to the point where I might even be shaking. Because there's another part to that alarm system, which is freeze, you know, so we can fight, flight, but we can also freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember seeing this uh, with a cat and a mouse one time where the, the mouse would actually pretend to be dead and lie still hoping that the cat thinks it's dead and then would leave it alone. And it's the same with the bear scenario. If we freeze and we don't move, you're kind of hoping that the bear won't see us. What you're saying makes really good sense. And I'm just thinking, you know, a parent might be listening to this who's young person struggling a lot with anxiety and they're saying, yes, Stephen, I understand all of that. But in a sense, my child's getting anxious every day and there isn't a bear at the window. Yeah. And almost that this alarm system is misfiring and we just wish it would switch off. Um, any thoughts on that? The thing about anxiety is, is that it's often not based in the facts of the of the of the, mm. of the matter. It's the perception, isn't it, that something is really going to be so overwhelming and they're not going to be able to cope. So it's, it's two things. One is that the the event that's coming or the situation that's ahead of them is actually just too big 
and too overwhelming and they don't actually have the skills to actually cope with it. But the, the other part of that is what I'm trying to pull out here is, is that anxiety by itself, this mechanism that keeps us safe from danger is really important and really helpful and really useful and not something that we should run away from. So the, it, it needs to go hand in hand. One is, is that anxiety is helpful and useful and really good. But then on the other side is if it gets triggered and, and it's kind of out of context and we're seeing something, we're, you know, we're seeing a bear at the window when there isn't a bear at the window, that's really going to be really uncomfortable and not helpful. I think what you're saying, Stephen, is really useful because it encourages us to think about what is the young person's point of view if they're really anxious. Because a parent might say, I just need the anxiety to stop. I need them to stop having these panics. I need to get them into school or whatever it is. But I think you're pointing out we kind of need to understand from the young person's point of view what is the perceived threat or what is the what's the, what are they actually worried about? I know that's stating yeah. the obvious, but it's I suppose the point here is that it's not one or the other. It's not should I have anxiety or not have anxiety. Um, it's not it's not like that. It's about managing the anxiety. Uh, man- anxiety is really purposeful and really helpful. But sometimes it can be overwhelming, so it's about managing it and it's about reducing the anxiety. Um, because we can't do without anxiety, is the point I'm trying to make. So once we understand what anxiety is, its, it's purpose and its usefulness and how we experience anxiety in our body, once, once the young person and the parent understand those kind of things, um, it makes it a lot less uh, scary mm. and, and it actually makes it, you know, they understand then the helpfulness of it. Because yeah. if a child goes into an exam and they don't have some anxiety, they're, not, they're going to really struggle to concentrate because anxiety can, can help us focus, it can help us concentrate on, on, on situations. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're making that point clearly that in some senses anxiety is a good thing um, and also encouraging us to think more broadly than just stare at the anxiety itself but to think what's going on. And, and I know you'd wanted to mention a little bit, Stephen, about possible causes in a general sense for anxiety and and maybe particularly things that from an adult perspective we might overlook so do you want to say a wee bit about that i mean i don't have the definitive answer there's there's lots of reasons but some of the things that i've been thinking about uh, around this question were you know if you think of a child even an adolescent you know they they have less of a life experience and you know, often uh, they can misinterpret uh, Situations, events, um, might even be just simple, simple things, uh, because they can't, they don't have that life experience. They, they're not able to put things in context the way that maybe we, we, we can as an adult. I've had a young person who really is fearful of clowns. I've had young people who are fearful because of their experience of seeing somebody in a mask at Halloween. Um, you know, they take things out, they can take things out of context and just become really fearful. A child is much smaller they're less powerful in that sense so they're they're often relying on others to keep them safe i've done it with my son i go just stand there a wee minute and i'll just pick up this wee ice cream and he's maybe standing for maybe a split second by himself and going what is going on it can be real threatening events in a young person's life that can cause the anxiety um Bullying is, uh, we know, is very much linked to mental health. Modelling, we can witness adults, it doesn't have to be a parent, it can be anybody who's maybe finding a a situation or event stressful. So a child might see that and and again, sort of not not knowing the context will misunderstand it. 
Actually, a really good one for a misunderstanding. I've had this. I've had a young child come in and wouldn't sleep. Wouldn't sleep in his own bed. And when we actually got down to the nitty gritty of it, again, remember this is anxiety, so it's not always factual. It's not a real fear. But when they put the heat on the house, you know, you get creaking. And the radiators might creak or whatever it was. Uh, and he was totally believing this was ghosts in the house. And um, and that was the reason why he wouldn't sleep in bed. Hmm. It doesn't always have to be bad events. I think this is really important. Um, you know, we can experience excessive stress. That transition from primary school to secondary school is often the trigger for a lot of young people in their journey with anxiety. Um, and and often the, that, that, that transition can be actually a really good one. So they've moved to the bigger school. You know, they're doing really well academically. They've got good friends and everything else. But actually underneath that, um, this positive experience can be really stressful as well because, you, you know, there's a lot of change. There's a lot of change in their routine. Um, you know, they've gone from autopilot in primary school. They've gone into secondary school. This whole change can be really tiring and exhausting. And then the whole idea of making new friends can be really tiring and exhausting. And then the workload and everything else. And it could be, you know, it can be actually nothing really bad happening, but they, they just become overwhelmed and it affects their sleep or their eating and, and, and things like that. Hmm. Um, and then finally, I think, um, yeah, there's just some, some of us are a wee bit more easily triggered, I think, with anxiety than others genetically. You know, I think hmm. there's maybe just a wee biological element sometimes there. We can be a wee bit more sensitive. Yeah. I'm certainly more sensitive to certain things than, than others uh, and others are more sensitive to things than I am mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and just a wee note actually just about teenagers uh, social media is a, is a massive isn't it you know when you think about how mm. they, they're comparing themselves to the peers and certainly around weight and shape and, uh, and things like that yeah you're, you're giving us a lot to think about in there Stephen I'm particularly drawn to that thought about the world being a big and scary place actually for a young person and we probably as adults can forget that really easily and and even your your brief comment there about parents and we all have our own challenges um, but a parent could be feeling really anxious about a situation and if the young person's looking to them for the kind of is this safe is this not a safe situation maybe in some element that can can impact on the young person as well um, which is a complicated thing I suppose yeah. Uh, there's no blame. I think that's the important thing. This isn't about yeah. blame. We have support and we have services for children who are struggling. It wasn't that long ago we were saying, you know, child needs to be seen but not heard. Every child now has the opportunity to be heard and mm. seen, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's yeah. really important. Yeah, that's a good good way to, to put it. Um, in terms of going into a little bit more detail, Stephen, I'm, I'm just thinking about the key worry thoughts people might get. Obviously, it could be all sorts of different types of anxiety and different topics and things. But do you want to say a bit about general themes, general themes of worry? Just picking out some of the anxieties and signs that I'm sort of witnessing in clinic. Would that be all right if I shared yeah, some yeah, of those? Yeah, maybe of to put, flesh it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it, a lot I would say is, is um, you know, kids who are quite shy. There's a shyness with them and um, they really kind of struggle in the social settings. And, and again, anxiety doesn't just affect our body, it affects the way we think and it affects what we do. Uh, and with shyness, the kind of core thinking around in that is the child will go, well, look, uh, if I speak 
or if I go and try and hang out with our kids or whatever it is, you know, I'll say something stupid and I'll sound like an idiot and they'll judge me as an idiot. Mm. That's why um, they're they're struggling perhaps in that situation where our kids aren't. It, just to jump in briefly there, Stephen, because of course we know, especially for teenagers, that how important it is to be accepted in a in a friendship group or amongst your peers. Totally. So if they have a concern yeah. that I'm going to say something stupid, people are going to, you know, laugh at me. I suppose yeah. it's not just even that event. It's the fact that linked with that is acceptance, mm-hmm. identity, yep. popularity. Can I make it at school if everybody thinks I'm, you know, stupid in inverted commas? So there, there's a lot writing on it, really, on that particular one, well, isn't there? Yeah, that's really, really well put, James, because that really is at the core at that age and stage, isn't it? About mm. approval the fear of rejection um yeah and there's a perfectionism as well it comes i see a lot of perfectionism as well you know they want to do really really well they want to be you know f- fantastic in their exams do fantastic in their exams they want to do really good as a friend there's that there's also the perceived perception where they think that other people want them to be perfect they're, they're not allowed to be flawed yeah, I think that's, yeah, there's those real common mm. core beliefs really at that age and stage. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Another one um, would be, um, and I think this is really important because it kind of fits with the physical symptoms we've talked about anxiety, is panic attacks. You imagine, James, you, your heart's beating fast. You're sitting in a class and maybe the thought is, if this, t- this teacher's going to ask me a question, I'm going to mess up, I'm going to say the wrong thing and their boy's going to think I'm an idiot. So they're sitting there and their wee heart's starting to beat, they're breathing, they start maybe feel a wee bit lightheaded. What you find is that they misinterpret those physical symptoms mm. and they might tell themselves, oh my goodness, my heart's going to burst out of my chest, I'm going to have a heart attack and die. Mm. Others might say, oh my word, my racing thoughts is here, I'm going to lose control, I might go crazy. Other young people go, this lightheadedness, I might faint, I need to get out of this class. These, these are kind of things that's attached to what we call panic attacks. Really scary for, for young people. But again, it's about the misinterpretation of those physical symptoms. And the term vicious circle comes to mind there, of course, doesn't it, Stephen? So if someone's feeling their heart starting to beat, they're starting to feel a bit tense, then they notice that and then it almost, you know, it, it fulfills itself. They're thinking, I'm getting panicked. Look, I am getting panicked or maybe I can't really breathe properly here. And the more they get stressed about that, the more that increases their adrenaline, if we want to put it that way, and, and makes the thing worse. And then they notice it's getting worse and say... I, I knew it and very quickly it becomes an explosion of of panic and and they need to get out of there quick. Yeah, that's mm. excellent. I knew you were a secret CBT therapist. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I would see OCD. The kind of thought goes with that. If I don't check the light switches, for example, you know, the house will burn down. Um, and another one would be phobias, mm-hmm. where they tell themselves that, that that thing that they actually fear, where it be a cat, I've had that, uh, blood, um, heights, that the thing that they fear is extremely, extremely dangerous. Mm. That, that cat is really, really dangerous. Yeah. So, yeah, and then I suppose another one would be worrying about awful things going to happen. Mm. Like I said, my wife, she'll avoid that road because she thinks that there's going to be an hour car accident. Mm-hmm. So yes, just that that general worry. And, and going back to our earlier conversation, Stephen, about this being more exaggerated for some people rather than others. I mean, you're unpacking that well for us already, I think. But do you want to say anything more about that? It's about understanding those physical symptoms. But the, for the young people who become distressed, mm. at the heart of it, it's their thinking. And at the heart of it, it's always fortune telling. 
and it's always negative that something bad is going to happen and they're not going to be able to cope. Yeah, we've covered a lot of ground already, Stephen. I, I, I suppose a really key question here, maybe to a, for a parent listening, is how can they respond? So they might say, right, I hear all this, Stephen. I, um, I understand anxiety a little bit. My young person is having panics all the time. What do I do? You were kind of summing that up, James, about the idea of the vicious cycle, about the importance mm-hmm. of how we think about a situation, recognising the physical symptoms of fear, stroke, anxiety. Because once you understand that these physical symptoms aren't dangerous and they're there for a purpose, once you know that, that will give you some control over it. Um, it will help you nip it in the bud before it sort of unwinds. So that would be the first thing So that in terms of the physical side of things. The second part about it would be identifying the thought, recognising what the problem is, identifying the problem and moving into problem solving because that's the thing that will cure the worry. Yeah. Yeah, no, that helps. Um, and, and almost that sense of uh, playing detective, it's a term we've used on some of the other podcasts, but, you know, what's going on, what's the perceived threat and putting that alongside the understanding of anxiety is a good a good place to start. And Stephen, you mentioned about avoidance and... I suppose in a simple example might be if someone's very anxious and panicked about school, they stop going to school. Um, so I suppose a couple of questions rolled into one here, but uh, does that help? Does avoidance help in some ways? And then secondly, what could a parent do? So how hard do they push it? You know, how hard do they say you're going yeah. no matter what and, and escalate it all sometimes? So any thoughts on all of that about avoidance? Yeah, well... Avoidance isn't the answer, it won't fix it, but to get to the point where you want somebody to face their fear is not just going to be like, not always going to be a quick fix either, Mm. because there is that fear of something really bad happening. In terms of avoidance as well, I think the young people that I talk to, they generally say nobody gets it. The The important thing here is about understanding what the problem is first. And if you say to the child, okay, you really need to go to school and I'm going to insist that you go to school. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have an understanding of what the problem is and you keep beating that door, Mm -hmm. that's not healthy and it's not good. It's not good for you because you're persistent that the child goes. And the more you persist, the more the child's going to resist because the child's anxious. And remember, anxiety is is a tool that protects us. Mm -hmm. So this anxiety the child's experiencing is is for legitimate reasons in their head. It might not be for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we might be saying, of course you can go on with your friends, of course you're not going to mess up. But we don't know what the actual fear is, often. The child might be going, but hold on a minute, I'm protecting myself and you're supposed to be protecting me as well. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important to sort of understand what the problem is rather than just doing to the child. That's really helpful, Stephen. I really like that concept of understand the problem first. So if you don't understand the problem and you're really, you know, nudging your child into the very anxious situation, mm-hmm. that isn't isn't in itself helpful. And as as you say, in their mind, they have reasons for why they feel like why they feel. And one other thought comes to mind as you're chatting there, Stephen, is the parent, the carer, uh, is the safety person you know the 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 person that gets looked to at times of stress and and you're going to help me and you're there to look after me and yeah as you say if we persist on pushing so to speak the child not literally into the stressful situation we we kind of 
impact on that, don't we? It's easy to see how it gets pretty stressful between a young person and their parent in that situation. And, and I think it's really important that a parent understands that this child is anxious and that anxiety is there to protect them. So we should be delighted that this child is sticking its heels in, in some at some level because it wants to protect itself because it yeah. actually cares about itself. Yes. This isn't, again, about just the parents. The schools have a duty of care. And, um, you know, it's about also the school supporting that, that young person. Yeah. I think that, I think, and I think the first protocol for any parent who's struggling with the child with school is to, to link in with the school. Yes. And to get that person, it doesn't always have to be their teacher, or it could be a single, but it's some teacher that that child has a connection with. Yeah. Um, because, you know, this, again, we're thinking about isolation, you know, anxiety sort of isolates us. Yeah. Um, and it get and it and it leads to us avoiding people and friends and stuff. So we we really need to be gentle and go right. Who's going to be the best one to manage this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah, that, that's helpful and and connecting with uh, reliable, helpful individuals in the school environment so can be so crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, we've covered a lot, Stephen, and it's been a, a really helpful introduction to this massive area. Thanks, Stephen. And I think there was a strategy you wanted to mention just in, in finishing off some practical advice for parents. The cure to worry often is about thinking about the worst case scenario. It's going into the problem solving part of it. And what you want to be asking yourself or the child is what is the worst case here? You know, what would happen if you do, you don't do well in your exam? Hmm. Now, often young people might say to me, well, I don't really want to think about the worst case happen because it might then happen because I've said it. But again, that's that magical thinking. It's that fortune telling. But if you can think about, if you can find out what the worst case scenario is for the child, then you can say to them, okay, well, how are we going to manage that? And if they don't do so well in the exam, they can, is it really that important, this exam? Will it show where their weaknesses are for the next set of exams? Or is it something that they need to reset or can reset at a, a, a later date? So there's always going to be a, a solution to the problem. Mm. But alongside saying that, then you want to say, that's the worst case scenario. What's the best case scenario? And the best case scenario is, well, I'll get through the exam and I'll get what I want. And then I always ask that third question, what's most likely going to happen? And invariably they say, well, it'll be somewhere in the middle. Mm. So again, it's about moving away from worry and getting into problem solving. So... That would be a wee tip in terms of how you think through a problem. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really helpful practical advice, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks, Stephen, for for all your comments today. That's been a really useful introduction to this um, big topic, as we've said, and some some practical things parents can can think about. So, uh, thanks for joining today, and thank you also to you, our listeners. Uh, we've embedded within the text of this podcast uh, on your podcast platform a short survey. We'd love to hear your feedback and any suggestions for future topics. And we hope you find today's podcast helpful.